1 Thessalonians 5, verses 9-11, through 11, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, that is, alive or dead, at the return of Christ, regardless, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing already. Let's pray. Father, you have done a great, gracious thing for us, freeing us from your wrath. I pray that you would help us to see what a precious, amazing gift that is. It's also a wonderful thing that you have made a place for us for eternity. As we look at that today, help us, Father, to see that as a very special treasure as well. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. It is my experience that when Christians teach or write books about the return of Christ, they often deal with the signs and times surrounding his return, the tribulation, the rapture, the Old and New Testament prophecies, and, of course, the new heavens and new earth. However, here in 1 Thessalonians, Paul's focus on Christ's return does not follow that pattern. Instead, in chapters, chapter 3, verses 12 through 13, his focus is on urging us to increase and abound in love for one another so that at the return of Christ we can be brought into God's presence, blameless and holy. Notice the connection between love and holiness. This is a thought that is not stated so often, but definitely often enough within the scriptures that we should see its connection. When we love our neighbor as ourselves, when we love God as we ought, we will be holy because you can't love your neighbor as yourself and be unholy. It's impossible. There is a direct connection between love and holiness, without any question. All right, sorry, that's an editorial comment, unnecessary for where we were headed. Uh, this, in, chapter, chap, in chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, Paul is assuring us that it is not only those who are alive at Christ's return who will be taken up to meet him in the air. Those who have died before his return will also be taken up. Now, we don't uh, often consider that. It's not an issue for us today. But when Paul was writing Thessalonians, there was somebody spreading the word in the churches that if you died before Christ's return, you were going to miss out on being taken up to meet Christ. And Paul was changing that thinking. He was correcting that thinking. And so that's what he's talking about in chapter 4, verses 13 through 18 regarding Christ's return. And in chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, Paul is exhorting us to be awake, alert, prepared, and sober in anticipation of Christ's return 
so that when he returns, he will find us living as Christians ought to live. And included in this exhortation, because it's a rather lengthy exhortation, included in that exhortation is the reminder to live by faith and to love as we ought and to find the encouragement to live by faith and to love as we ought in the confident expectation of being taken up with Christ at his return. There's a variety of reasons that could and should motivate us to live for God, to live a godly life. This is just one of them, expecting Christ's return, living in light of Christ's return. It isn't the only one, it is one of them. Well, the point is, is that most of Paul's teaching on Christ's return, at least here in 1 Thessalonians, includes exhortations and warnings. Exhortations about how we ought to live in light of his return, and warnings about failing to live as we ought. Given that this is Paul's focus here in 1 Thessalonians, it is possible that what we have talked about over the past several weeks has left you feeling like there is no end to the demands of the Christian life. And it's true. The Christian life is demanding. However, it is also rewarding. And one of those rewards is the gift of life with God for eternity in the new heavens and new earth. And for that reason, today we're going to look at some scriptures and some words from hymns that I'm hoping will encourage you to see Christ's return as the best thing that can happen to you, to the church, to the world, and God's eternal kingdom as the best place to be in spite of how good we have it here in the U.S. And it's the best place to be now and forever. All right, I have one suggestion. Uh, This is to try and get you to feel what we're going to be talking about from here on out. Um, Don't emphasize feelings a lot, but today's the day to feel. So my one suggestion is, as I read the selective script, the selected scriptures and hymns, imagine yourself, and if you can't imagine yourself in this position, imagine someone else, a loved one, probably. Imagine yourself or someone else experiencing and feeling the reality of the words that I'm going to read and what those words portray. So put yourself in that place. And try to feel the reality of those words. I'm going to begin with Christ's words from John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. And when I read the hymns, I'm not going to introduce each hymn because I would like to keep the flow going. If you have the outline, you have the hymn title and the person who wrote it. I'm not wanting to diminish that or take anything away from the hymns in terms of not referring to them, but I just would like the thoughts to keep flowing without interrupting with that introduction. So that's why we'll not be introducing each of the hymns. Back to John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. 
Believe also in me, Jesus said. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am there you may be also. There is coming a day when no heartaches shall come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. There'll be no sorrow there, No more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no pain, no more parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see and I look upon his face the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. Peter wrote these words in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He was the firstborn of many to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away to obtain that kind of inheritance reserved in heaven for you who are protected, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time or at the return of Christ. Face to face with Christ, my Savior, face to face, what will it be when with rapture I behold him Jesus Christ, who died for me, only faintly now I see him with the darkened veil between. But a blessed day is coming when his glory shall be seen. What rejoicing in his presence when our banished grief and pain, death is swallowed up in victory and the dark things shall be plain. Face to face, oh, blissful moment. Face to face to see and know. Face to face with my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who loves me so. Face to face, I shall behold him far beyond the starry sky. Face to face in all his glory. 
I shall see him by and by. For we know that if the earthly tent, that is our human body, we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, or in other words, we die, we have a building from God, a celestial body, a house not made with hands, not formed from the dust of the earth, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, if this house or this human body, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, that celestial body, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked, will not be found having no body at all, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for in this body we walk by faith, not by sight. We don't yet see him face to face. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer, prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Engulfed by the terror of tempestuous seas, on the waves before you roll, at the end of doubt and peril is eternity. Though fear and conflict seize your soul, But just think, think of stepping on shore and finding it heaven, of touching a hand and finding it God's, of breathing new air and finding it celestial, of waking up in glory and finding it home. When surrounded by the blackness of the darkening skies, oh, how lonely death can be. Think about all the people who have died just in the last year in a nursing home or a hospital separated from their loved ones, alone by themselves. When surrounded by the blackness of the darkening skies, oh, how lonely death can be. At the end of this long tunnel is a shining light, for death is swallowed up in victory. So just think of stepping on shore and finding it heaven, of touching a hand and finding it God's, of breathing new air and finding it celestial, of waking up in glory finding at home. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, Jesus exhorts us not to fear persecution. And he does this because he says, blessed are those who have been persecuted. Blessed are those. They're blessed. 
Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When all my labors and trials are over, and I am safe on that beautiful shore, just to be near the dear Lord I adore will, through the ages, be glory for me. When, by the gift of his infinite grace, I am accorded in heaven a place, just to be there and to look on his face, will through the ages be glory for me. Friends will be there I have loved long ago. Joy like a river around me will flow. Yet just a smile from my Savior I know will through the ages be glory for me. Oh, that will be glory for me, glory for me, glory for me, when by his grace I shall look on his face. That will be glory, be glory for me. Peter speaks about the reality of a new heaven, a new earth, in Second Peter chapter 3, verses, verse 13. And here's what he writes. But according to God's promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Imagine the contrast between that and our current earth. And imagine how easy it is to cling to life here when that is what awaits us. And John confirms this new heaven and new earth in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself, he himself, will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear, every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. First things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write. 
for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Last night, I lay sleeping. There came a dream so fair. I stood in old Jerusalem beside the temple there. I heard the children singing. And ever as they sang, I thought the voice of angels from heaven in answer rang, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Lift up your gates and sing. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna to your king. And then I thought my dream was changed. The streets no longer rang. Hushed were the glad hosannas the little children sang. The sun grew dark with mystery. The morn was cold and chill as the shadow of a cross arose upon a lonely hill. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, hark how the angels sing. Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna to your king. And once again the scene was changed. New earth there seemed to be. I saw the holy city beside the tideless sea. The light of God was on its streets. The gates were open wide, and all who would might enter, and no one was denied. No need of moon or stars by night or sun to shine by day. It was the new Jerusalem that would not pass away. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, sing, for the night is over. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna forevermore. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of the street. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing the twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face, And his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night. And they will not have need of the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them. And they will reign forever and ever. 
There is a place more precious than any other, this side of heaven's door, a place where we love one another, a shelter in time of storm. And this is a reference to your home, my home. Hopefully our homes are like this. So I'm going to start again. There is a place more precious than any other, the side of heaven's door, a place where we love one another, a shelter in time of storm. And though it's a treasure, this home's not forever. I long for the life that is waiting beyond. Where no one, no one will ever be hungry or cold. Where no one will hurt or will ever grow old. No one will die and leave someone alone. That's when I'll know I'm home. There is a place where truth will always be spoken and promises can be believed. A place where your heart can't be broken and loved ones will never leave. So, if you are longing for a place of belonging, the home that you've dreamed of is waiting for you, where no one, no one will ever be hungry or cold, where no one will hurt or will ever grow old. No one will die and leave someone alone. That's when you'll know your home forever. No pain, no disease, all will be equal, all will be free. True love will come and will fall at his feet. That's when we'll know we're home. And finally, we'll see with the darkness erased, not through a glass, but then face to face. And that's when we'll know we're home. It is a great comfort and a marvelous expectation to see heaven as a place to reunite with loved ones, to have a whole and healthy body, to have your mind renewed, to be free of sickness, pain, suffering, and loss, to have joy unspeakable, peace beyond imagination, love beyond measure, contentment that fully satisfies, genuine equality, and truly loving, mutually meaningful relationships. The word mutual is important there. Love can certainly be one-sided, and we've talked about that in the past. But the true fulfillment of love is when it is mutual. Truly loving, mutually meaningful relationships. In that place, there will be absolutely no prejudice, no partiality, 
no injustice, no mistreatment, no hostility, no abuse, no malice or revenge, because our old nature will be done away with. We will be free of that part of our being. And by the way, if we think that prejudice is only in our own country between blacks and white, just take a look around the world. All the prejudice and the evil that goes with it in so many other places in our world. Tribe against tribe, government against certain people groups. It is rampant. It is everywhere. So not to make light of or lessen the reality of what is in our own country, this is a plague that is around our world and there will be no prejudice, no injustice, no mistreatment there. We will become as much like Jesus as it is possible for created beings to become. Think of that. The scripture says that we will reach the fullness of the stature of our Lord. We will see him as he is and know him as we are known. He knows us fully. One day we will fully know him. We have had this phrase shared with us numerous times by one who sits among us, and that is his ways are as high above our ways as the heavens are above the earth. We will know him as he is. As we are known, we will know him. He knows us fully. We will know him in that same way, the scripture says. We will stand faultless with great joy before God. Imagine that. And we will be privileged to enter into a face-to-face intimate relationship with God that will last for all eternity. He shows us the path of life. In his presence is the fullness of joy. Just take that middle statement, the last statement in that verse is, at his right hand are pleasures forever. In his presence is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. When was the last time you had fullness of joy and how long did it last? How long will it last in heaven for eternity? Fullness of joy for eternity. For me, it is this last gift, this intimate relationship with God that will last for all eternity that holds the greatest attraction in light of the return of Christ and eternal life. To be in his presence, to know him like this, to fellowship with him. Yes, you know, I can't Imagine how God does it, but he does it today. He fellowships with you individually and with me individually and with all of the people who are in this very moment that he's fellowshipping with at the same time. How does he do that? 
He's God. I don't know. But I imagine that in the eternal kingdom, we will have as much personal interaction with God as it's possible to have in spite of the fact there being millions of people there. All at the same time. And it is that face-to-face, intimate relationship with God that, at least for me, holds the greatest attraction. And the second thing that holds the greatest attraction in terms of the return of Christ is the death of my old nature. I will be grateful to be done with it and not have to fight it or face it or be prepared to deal with it. It's a plague in my life, not a blessing. So I ask, what are you looking forward to? What what are you expecting? What are you hoping for in the new heavens and the new earth? Is it something you think about? It is is it on your mind? It is my hope that as we've gone through these scriptures and words from hymns that your picture may be larger, more encompassing, and that it might be something that you're looking forward to or could look forward to or will look forward to. So to complete our look at the new heavens and new earth, I want us to share in communion today eating the bread and drinking the cup, and doing this as a tangible reminder of who made this gracious gift possible. Not just eternal life, but life with God forever as we have looked at it and talked about it. The words eternal life are precious and important, but it's too easy to say those words and not see the larger picture that they encompass. As you eat the bread, as you drink the cup, think of that larger picture. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 to 57. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We will not all be dead when Christ returns. Some of us will be alive. But even though some of us are dead and some of us are alive, the fact is all of us will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable, this body that will die, must put on the imperishable And this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. That's what condemns us. We've broken the law. And so we are condemned. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory over death 
and over sin, over condemnation. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ.